0: Hello, this is Jess recording an introduction by myself because we forgot to do one last time we recorded. Welcome to Find the Lit, a podcast where we find the lit richer, read it and then chat about it. Enjoy.
1: Okay, also side. what I'm
0: gonna try and what I'm gonna try and do this time is not say yeah while you're saying something <laughs> because it makes it really hard to match up the two audio tracks because yeah. like you'll be saying something and suddenly my voice will just go like yeah <laughs> over the top of you so I got like splice all of the yes to like the perfect place of, like when I would have said it it's impossible <laughs> it's really hard not
1: to do that though isn't it like because you just sort of automatically agree and just do lots of well, that's nodding what, yeah that's what you would naturally do in conversation but yeah. I think professional
0: podcasters must know to just completely shut up like while another person's talking and then yeah. start talking I, th- I feel like yeah because it makes it so much easier to edit
1: but I don't mind I've never minded it on like the ones where we were in the same room kind of the listening of it I never kept I never thought like oh shut up stop saying yeah
0: Bit. no yeah I think that's fine because it sounds completely natural yeah. then but when we're in different parts of the world it probably it's just hard to put it together in a way that sounds yeah. like we're actually having a conversation <laughs> sounds weird
1: But <laughs> you we did a really good job on the last one. Oh, thanks okay, yeah, okay. I'm not
0: very prepared for this one Em neither
1: am I it's because it's taken oh. us so long because I was I was reading it and then I stopped but obviously I don't know i I've sort of written some notes, but there was particular passages that I wanted to talk about, but I can't, like, find them again, um, okay. which is really annoying, but maybe you'll have written down some of them. Um but Yeah, I've written down, like, two or three parts. Yeah, okay. Well, should we have a quick, like, pre-official chat about what we want to do, or we'll just... We'll I reckon to... let's,
0: just, yeah. let's just dive into yeah, it. Yeah, okay.
1: All right. You need to do the introduction. Yeah, just talking about it. Okay. Um, Okay, so I've chosen a book called The Mezzanine um, by Nicholson Baker, his first ever novel published in 1988. Um, It takes place in the duration of a man on his lunch break from work. And it is a (laughs) dense, I guess you would call it, novel where it just follows his meandering thoughts about various mundane objects like um milk cartons shoelaces um things like boring things like that, that you don't really give much thought to um but in a way where it shows i guess i guess they're a basis for like his emotional and moral landscape as well um mm. i think some people would find it a really irritating read for various reasons or some people would love it um, So what are your initial reactions, Jess?
0: My reaction was mixed, to be honest, but I'm finding it hard to separate the things that are intrinsic to the book and the things that were just my circumstance of reading it because I was reading it on my Kindle and I downloaded an illegal version of it, so (laughs) it was a PDF and basically, if you read a PDF on a Kindle, the screen's obviously quite small, so you have to make it landscape, which means that each page is like, you have to press next three times to read a whole page. And the book has a lot of footnotes in it. And that made it a bit of a nightmare, to be honest, in terms of just the practicality of reading it, because I'd get to the bottom of a page, there'd be a footnote, I'd have to like, press the next button about, five times to get to the next bit of footnote then i'd have to scroll all the way back so the footnotes i think i would have found a, a little bit irritating anyway but they were made much worse by the fact that i was reading it like that oh dear but, i mean in general i feel like it had its parallels with pond because it's quite stream of consciousness and it's obviously revolves around the mundanities of life um and like to an even greater degree probably because it's just all about one lunch break I did like it more than pond because I felt that I actually got the humor this time I did find it funny and I laughed out loud a few times um yeah I'm, try- I'm try- I mean, that's all I'm gonna say about it. <laughs> I'm now. trying not I'm taking to... you obviously like it because you'd yeah. already read it before you chose it.
1: Yeah, I'm trying not to say yeah like we discussed. <laughs> but then I guess the problem is that is like you never know when to s- stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't want to interrupt you. Um I yeah, I absolutely love this. I think it's one of my favourite novels. It's the second time I've really? read it. Yeah yeah definitely wow i I think it's gonna be one of those things that I'll probably just want to read about once a year um because I find myself wow. there's different elements to it that's like are more interesting to me depending on like what what I'm doing in my life when I read it um i yeah like you, I think it's really funny. I think I laughed a lot more than a few times, but I think mm-hmm. once you know what to expect when you read it the second time it maybe is funnier because you kind of know where it goes and um so you kind of things that you might not have realized were funny the first time end up being really funny um i i feel so sorry for you about the kindle because <laughs> even when you're reading it like in a normal book it's confusing because you have read, read a really long footnote and then you kind of get lost trying to find where you were at when you have to go back mm-hmm. to the main stuff um i mean i think we could talk about the footnotes but maybe we'll talk about something else first um okay like the kind of what it's about so when I was reading it this time knowing that you were going to be reading it I did think I did focus more on like the the moral stuff and the like philosophical ideas about it because essentially it's taking a sort of trope of boring um middle class like office worker life and And trying to show it as something like beautiful or interesting or meaningful and um, and it and it's like the image of like a sea of workers in their in their gray suits all filing into an office building like five days a week nine to five that's like something that we're told is maybe something to fight against, and we should have more like more spontaneous lives or strive for more and mm. yet yeah, this whole novel shows that actually all those people are individuals and what's going on in their heads are completely different a lot of the time. And maybe that you can still find like joy and meaning and pleasure in having a, a life that seems really um, mundane on the outside or something that isn't going to be written about in history books. Um,
0: yeah, I, yeah. I found
1: that really interesting.
0: I did like that. It reminded me of Patterson a bit, the film.
1: Oh yeah. Oh wow. It's got a
0: similar kind of sentiment.
1: I never thought of that but that's oh that all of my favorite things are about the same
0: stuff <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I do
1: love that too I like I like the
0: yeah the way that it treats the everyday things and but I also like that it does have a, a sense of like ridicule of, about it as well and and the ridiculous finding the kind of absurd in those everyday realities yeah. I'm so glad that I've had an experience of working in an office when I read this because it took on a whole other layer of yeah. humor and meaning I think if you hadn't worked in an office especially the bits at the beginning where he's having those conversations with his co-workers before he leaves for the lunch break and he like has to like navigate the toilet and that is just so what I experienced every day in an office yeah, just, just yeah just... the simple act of going to the toilet and all of the social kind of awkward potentialities that come with just that one
1: thing (laughs) exactly he breaks down into my like minute detail This unspoken rules of an office and the etiquette and the the like confusion and like anxiety that that exists when you have to interact with people that you don't really know but you see every day and especially Mm -hmm. in like a big office place where he works There's just so many people um yeah, I, I thought that all oh, that was really, really funny. And the the bit that made me cringe so much is when he's describing how he's he's coming up to the escalator and there's a man called Bob who's coming to, who's gonna come down the other way. And Bob is someone that he's never properly like introduced himself to or had that initial like awkward conversation so that you can then be normal with each other, even though he's now worked there for way too long. So it's got really <laughs> awkward. And he actually like he actually does that thing where he kind of like he instead of having to like pass him on the escalator, he like, puts his finger in the air and changes direction like he's forgotten something. I have done that so many times. <laughs> yeah, and like every office place has all those weird things like, uh, yeah, especially around like toilets and, and also like the different hierarchies of an office, like how you interact with like the cleaner or a secretary, or you know, or your manager and when he has to like yeah we next to like one of the managers just
0: yeah it's so
1: funny
0: and even just when you stop to have a conversation with someone the difference between the subtle difference between just like a passing exchange and when it enters into a full conversation and he's talking about when it reaches a point where you have to um you know wrap it up or say something to wrap it up you can't just kind of like leave mid-conversation because you've already gone too far in it And saying that I can't remember what he says but he says there's two different ways to kind of wrap up that exchange and it was really Mm. hit a nerve in that sense it was really funny and true I think
1: I liked that the character though is not even necessarily aware of how weird he is and the things he thinks about because when he's talking to one of the secretaries I think he starts telling her about how his shoelace is broken and like all the different thoughts he's had about why it's broken and I feel like a lot of people would keep that to themselves because they wouldn't want people to Mm -hmm. think they were weird but he seems to just kind of say it um, he does have a
0: filter though because later Mm. on when he's at the pharmacy store and he's being served by the woman and admiring the way she serves people really quickly and efficiently and he gets to the front and then he's thinking in his head he wants to say something to her about admiring (laughs) the way she's working or something but then he just thinks no too weird but yeah I don't know I was gonna ask you do you think that he is obviously meant to be weirder than the average person or do you think that the idea is that everyone's got these kind of odd things going on in their head all the time because I don't think the way he thinks
1: <laughs> I, I've been I've been debating that in my head because I think some of it is the fact that it's maybe a bit autobiographical because he um, had a job as like an analyst or something in a big investment company, so had that experience of office life. And obviously now he's a writer, so he probably felt a little bit like a fish out of water and maybe that was more, yeah, more what he's like. Um, But then I also think he tries to make the point that everybody shares on one level really similar thoughts, um, but then everybody has their own unique thoughts which they think like a few times a year or a few times a week and those are all really unique so they're weird in the sense that they're individual but also everybody has them and he's talking about how him and his girlfriend compared like all the different things they think about and how once you get past like the kind of routine maybe like oh I have to do washing up type thoughts that they're all completely different and they're like supposed to be in love and, and really similar in certain ways so I don't know. I was thinking, like, have I had any mezzanine moments where I just walk around and, like, think about, like, things in that much detail? I've, not as much as him, I don't think. Um,
0: Obviously, the main narrator character guy is meant to have a unusual fasc- fascination with the intricate kind of mechanisms of everyday objects, right? He thinks yeah. about things in way more detail than I would think about, you know, the way a straw works or a milk carton or something like that. So I think that is meant to be a, um idiosyncrasy of his character. Definitely. But then everyone probably has their own obsessive kind of thoughts that go on, you know, the inner uh, stream of consciousness that just goes on.
1: I think maybe other people think more about other humans, like, or, you know, things going on in their lives, like family or friends or... But, but he seems more interested in inanimate objects um, I did yeah. have a mezzanine moment at work actually like a few weeks ago when I, dis- when I discovered the, um, the little boxes that hold paper clips and how they're, they've got like a hole in the top and it's magnetic so you, you basically tip the box upside down and then loads of paper clips kind of fall out and get stuck to the magnet and you can just take one really easily and i would never seen it before and I was going around to everyone like this is amazing <laughs> <laughs> but, but then I feel like his character would then think about it for the next two months and like think about how it was made and invented and all the different variations of it and that is unusual
0: mm-hmm. yeah I think also the other thing which maybe put some distance between me when I was reading it and the things he was mentioning is not just because when was this book written was it the 90s no it was published or was
1: in 1988 Okay, yeah. So I think a lot of the
0: things he's mentioning are maybe older products, but also it's American. So a lot of the brand names I don't get, or they don't have the same resonance for me. So he'll he would mention a brand name, and I would just I wouldn't know what it was or what it was referring to.
1: Yeah, I I thought that as well. I think he because he talks a lot about the history of different household objects and how they've changed over time, and how that's all tied in with childhood memories and nostalgia and. Sense of identity and what's going on in the country, and we, I, we can really relate to that a lot of it. And for example, he'll go into like minute detail about record players and like how they work, and I don't even really think I've ever used one, so I couldn't really, um I couldn't really see it from his point of view there. And also with yeah. the brand names as well, like there's that uh, there's a bit I really like where he's talking about shampoo brands and how like shampoo has changed over the years and and the different shapes of the bottles and the way you hold the bottle and things and I didn't recognize any of the brand names either so I think we have Mm -hmm. a bit of disconnect but it would be interesting to see if you could do that sort of exercise but from our point of view like in Britain with people our age um yeah.
0: yeah I would like to read an equivalent but with brands that I recognized and products I recognized because it is like a really interesting thought that all of these random inventions and these tiny things which you know are sold to us to make our lives more convenient are also really nostalgic and they're all kind of I don't know I'm trying to think of an example of one that would be relevant to us but just you know like the packaging of certain things or yeah certain brands or certain sweets you had when you were a kid or things like that.
1: There's definitely, there's definitely something about um, whenever you see those things online. Like, you know you were born in the 90s when... And then it has, like, all yeah. the images of, of, like, yeah, like, all the brands of things. Like, when crisps look like this or when this TV mm. programme's on. And, and you don't even... It's like you've completely forgotten about the existence of all these things. And, and then it hits you and you do have that really weird, like, nostalgic
0: yeah. experience. I was talking to someone the other day about those ice lollies you used to get from... I used to get them from the corner shop in the village and they were always 10p and they were really long in plastic and they were just frozen ice, but in really garish colours. So you'd get like bright blue or bright red and they tasted so artificial. But as soon as we started talking about it, I could taste it so vividly in my mouth, like the taste of the blue one.
1: (laughs) We did that as well. We used to get them from the garage, which was next to the bus stop after school. (laughs) Yeah, they're disgusting, those. And I think, like he, he, yeah, it's like these inanimate objects somehow hold so much meaning, and he has sort of sentimentality towards like the most mundane things. Um, mm. I I liked the the sort of story where he was talking about the decline of the milk delivery carts and how and how people then just started buying milk in plastic, like from shops, rather than getting it delivered to the door in glass. And he talks about oh, how. Yeah. Um, his family were like the last ones in the sort of, in the block to cling on to like still getting home delivery. And it was really funny because he was saying how the, the delivery drivers always used to like just dump the milk like really, really quickly um, outside the house because the, the delivery driver had to like cover the whole city of isolated sentimentality <laughs> sentimentalists.
0: Um, yeah. That's like people who are trying to save plastic now.
1: They, is it uh, glass coming back? glass
0: bottles are on the rise. Yeah, yeah. Oh,
1: okay. My
0: family have always got it. What they I still think, have delivery. Yeah, oh, we still wow. get delivery of glass, milk in glass bottles. But I think it's quite a middle class, village and area. So I don't think we're yeah. the only ones.
1: <laughs> yeah, probably. I liked. Um, I thought it was interesting as well how he talks about beauty and and what makes something beautiful, and he describes again in like loads of detail about the garbage garbage truck that's in front of him um while he's driving and like he's talking about all the sludge and the rust but how it's really pretty and he says that you can take any object and if you put it on its own on like a plain background it makes it really beautiful oh um, uh, yeah and, and it and he says that um, it sets off the detail of it so that it can take on its true stature as an object of attention and I thought that's kind of what Baker's doing with the novel he's like taking like a like a boring life or you know in quotation marks boring life and then he's looking at it in such detail and setting it off against the background of a novel that it actually becomes something like really interesting and meaningful
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. yeah it reminds me of contemporary art or what's that artist that took the urinal and put it in an art gallery Duchamp or whatever his name was no, I think
1: that was the name of the guy. The toilet, wasn't it? Oh no, maybe it oh. wasn't. I don't know. <laughs> I thought that was the artist. I don't know.
0: I know exactly
1: <laughs> what you mean, but I don't know
0: who did it. <laughs> yeah, um, but I agree.
1: He's sort of like leveling the playing field a bit. Like any, like like we were talking about with ponds. Like anyone's life could be interesting if you peeled away the sort of surface. Mm, yeah.
0: It makes me feel, I don't know, when I think back to the five years I spent working in an office, in like one particular office, I don't know whether I would have had that many unique thoughts in one lunch break. makes me feel really uninteresting. (laughs) I I don't know if you'd be able to write a short novel about every lunch break I had. It'd be so boring. We should do an experiment. I I, I spent most of them reading, so obviously that would just be basically yeah. and quoting all, the book.
1: And also it's it's in the parameters of a lunch break, but obviously with his use of footnotes, he kind of goes back and forth throughout his whole life um, yeah, and talks about yeah. loads of different uh, experiences that he's had. So,
0: But then those are yeah. all thoughts that occur to him during the lunch break, aren't they? Yeah. So that's just, I thought that was just representative of the kind of the way the brain works in terms of objects will just, or Events or thoughts will just spiral into other thoughts, and yeah, and the footnotes does that quite well because it's very fragmented,
1: fragmented, which is what thought is like. Yeah, and one of his footnotes is at towards the end is actually him talking about footnotes and why and why they're really good, and and it is about the way like well, he says it's also not just about the way we think isn't kind of linear, but also truth and like the way you get to the truth of something there's always going to be different layers and different branches. I actually wrote that bit down
0: because I quite liked it, so I can read it. It says, I don't know who these people are, but he says, Mm -hmm. Boswell like Leckie, to get back to the point of this footnote, and Gibbon before him loved footnotes. They knew that the outer surface of truth is not smooth, welling and gathering from paragraph to shapely paragraph, but is encrusted with a rough protective bark of citations, quotation marks, italics and foreign languages, a whole... I don't know how to say that word, the <laughs> <Var-ri-rum laughs> crust of ibids and compares and sees that are the shield for the pure flow of argument as it lives for a moment in one's mind, in one mind. Yeah. But then it says, they knew the anticipatory pleasure of sensing with peripheral vision as they turned the page, a grey slit of further example and qualification waiting in tiny type at the bottom. I did not I've never got that. I thought that exactly. If I turn the page and I see footnotes, all I think is, oh, God.
1: I thought, like, yeah, it could be pleasure or irritation, depending on who it is, because he always puts it in, like, the middle of a sentence – or he'll be about to explain something and there'll be a colon, but then there's a footnote. And you're always like, oh. do I do I read the footnote now? But also I want to finish that sentence, but then he's put it there, so I need to read the footnote. But then what I did like about it is because the footnotes were so like meaty and long is that then they became like the main story and you got really into the footnote. And then yeah. you had to kind of go back and almost remind yourself of what was happening before the footnote. And I thought that was he's cool. obviously he's
0: obviously fucking with you on purpose because <laughs> yeah. there are parts where he'll put a footnote in a paren- parenthesis so it'll be something in brackets aside from the thing that he's talking about and then the footnote takes you aside again from the thing in brackets so it's just <laughs> like a double aside. Yeah, oh. <laughs> I, <loved it. laughs> oh. I appreciate it from a kind of academic standpoint, but. Again, it's just one of those books where I feel like there's loads to talk about and it's got loads of interesting implications, but I can't say I enjoyed reading it, apart from the funny bits. Maybe if you read it a second time, you would enjoy it. I think I'll wait until I can bury the actual book, because I'm not reading it again on my Kindle. Oh,
1: no, 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 don't do that. No, I know what you mean. Um, I think you've kind of got to be like open to the idea of it being annoying with the footnotes and, and just sort of even just like imagining each paragraph as something that you could just read on its own and like thinking about what he's saying rather than being confronted with this whole book of them I think that makes it easier Mm. Um, yeah and um I also liked the way he he talked about the little choices that we make um every day and and like the all the thoughts that go into that, but it will happen in a split second. Like he's he's talking about at one point, he's in a restaurant and he's saying like, do I use the pen that I've got on me or do I use the restaurant's pen when he's signing the check? Okay. Obviously, we don't really do that anymore. But I I loved the way he describes like the different pens and and how that would like change his experience at the restaurant.
0: Yeah, and it's the kind of thing where you would forget about having even had that internal conflict immediately afterwards but it's
1: just going on all the time yeah exactly it's I think you probably do think more things like that but like you said they're just gone as soon as you thought them I think that's really true yeah and um, did you have any opinions about his sort of glee around corporate life and and the inventions that make up his office because I feel like he he talks a lot about that as reflecting a really stable society like he really loves the fact that his company spends loads and loads of money on like business cards that no one's ever mm-hmm. going to need and and the fact that they invested in like this marble bathroom that was really unnecessary and it's, it's like he actually takes a lot of joy in in knowing that yeah. people have made those decisions and that it means that like everything's secure and stable in the world he at one point draws a comparison between life
0: in the office and home life and he says can this disorganized do-it-yourself evening life really be the same life as the clean noble penderflex life we lead in office buildings and I think that is kind of what all of those things in offices give an illusion of it kind of creates this weird feeling of order and importance and meaning, and it, everything's <coughs> rational and homogenised, and it it doesn't really pertain to reality. It's kind of separate from reality um, and just has a semblance of safety and togetherness and that it needs to be there and it's all necessary. Yeah. And, I mean, I would see that as an illusion because... I think that it's, it, oh, how do I put this, you know, like the office I worked in might have had that illusion, but no one knew what they were doing. And behind <laughs> that facade of rationality and orderliness and stuff like that, it's just complete chaos and just people acting in the most inefficient ways. Um
1: But, yeah, well, what was I originally saying? No, that's such a good point. Like, yeah, you've expressed it in the way I was trying to get out in my head. It is a complete illusion, but he's either, like, deluding himself or he really believes in all of that. And it's interesting reading it sort of from the perspective of, like, now when we've gone through kind of, like, economic crashes and, like, you know, all the banks collapsed and things. It kind of shows that that was just like a house of cards, really. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah, it really reminded me, actually, I don't know whether it's just because I read that part just after I'd listened to a Desert Island Discs with Charlie Brooker, and he said something in it. He was reflecting on being a kid during the Cold War and how there was this constant kind of fear that the world was going to end and that nuclear war was going to break out. And he says that when he was a kid, he just used to be absolutely baffled that people were going about their ordinary lives just going to the office at nine cooking off at five going home having dinner and just living this life when the world could end at any minute and it's kind of how I feel now about environment the environmental catastrophe that we're facing but we all just carry on (laughs) like it's not happening and that's just there's
1: nothing else you can do one could argue yeah
0: yeah But it's like offices are kind of, that is kind of what they are. They're these microcosms of, there's almost a cognitive dissonance of living the life in the office and then you leave it to go home and it's, there's a whole reality out there which is chaotic and you don't know what's going to happen and it's dangerous potentially but the office is almost this little safe place but it's not at all which is I think it's an illusion but yeah what does I don't know what whether he is just do you think the author thinks that what like the kind of words he's putting in the narrator's mouth or do you think he's making a comment about this is the way people see it
1: oh that's a hard question (laughs) (laughs) I think he no I think I think in order to write it you have in order to write that the way he has you have to kind of be standing outside of it like mm. as an observer but maybe he has had I think he's trying to make a point and he's just taking it to the extreme like as an experiment yeah okay oh, it's yeah it's difficult and also I don't really know much about him or other things he's written either
0: yeah no Well, I don't I had like completely forgotten his name <laughs> I'm just, um,
1: I feel like really self-conscious right now because Patrick's making a cup of coffee. <laughs> Patrick might know the answer. <laughs> no, I know, and that's the other thing, because he's read the book, so I don't want him to hear what I'm saying. <laughs> I think the character... It's, it's like the character... It's not that the character is so insulated that he's not aware of what's going on outside of the office. Um, what's happening in the world, but it's like he sees all these changes as changes in technology and invention and development, and that's his way of understanding like modernization and 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 the way society works. It's like he doesn't directly think about it he just sees it through this prism of the way straws have changed over time, and that reflects the company's yeah. attitudes and the work their values and their the way they want to make a profit and the way they treat their employees. It's like he, he sees it all through that, that lens.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, at the end, because obviously a lot of it revolves around shoelaces and the fact that his shoelace breaks quite near the beginning. And then at the end, he, he refers in a footnote to someone who is running experiments about how what the best material to make shoelaces out of are, is. And how quickly they break and, and stuff like that. And he kind of is really optimistic about it and saying, oh, thank God someone's putting the work in to, to solve this problem. And so he obviously does have a lot of, I don't know, faith or optimism in human progress <laughs> in these tiny, like, <laughs> little areas.
1: Yeah. And I think that's just reflected in the novel's sort of insistence on like the the like um the unknown person like making their mark on the world. Like this guy in Poland I think it is who wants to find out like how to stop a shoelace um like how to make shoelaces last longer or what makes them break. Like he's he's taken that enthusiasm and he's going with it and he's doing something and it's changing the world. And it's just Mm -hmm. a funny way of looking at change and progress. Because no one's going to care and no one's going to know. It's just going to suddenly, one day, shoelaces will be better.
0: Um, Yeah, and that's the thing. Those people are never going to get appreciation, even though they're going to change so many people's lives in these tiny ways. Because those objects we use every single day do change your life. Like the fact that his shoelace broke meant he had to take a huge chunk out of his lunch break to go and buy some new shoelaces when he could have been...
1: Sitting there reading or doing something else, and he's also at one point he talks about um, translators and the lives of translators, like so people who've um, translated like really famous works, and he calls them low key sort of men, um, and he says that they achieve little by external standards, but they sustain civilization for us mm-hmm. because they're translating these really archaic works or really specific textbooks and it's like no one really knows who they are no one cares but he sees that as like part of part of what makes a civilized society these men just like working away anonymously yeah and I mean there's a symmetry there just between workers
0: and the people that take the glory for things you know civilization would collapse without workers who are willing to go and sell their labor and i mean not necessarily in a lot of offices maybe it's not that productive but
1: no but it's true because know. he actually talks a lot about like you you mentioned like his appreciation of the checkout lady he also yeah. talks a lot about the the guy who um like the different people who clean the office building and like talks yeah. with such like admiration about them and how if it wasn't for them like nothing would work <laughs> But I feel like maybe he he looks at it as like, wow, they have this amazing job. They get to stand there and, and clean the escalator once a week. And how satisfying and brilliant. He doesn't ever think maybe they hate their job or maybe they don't like it and find it pretty boring. He just thinks it's like a wonderful thing to observe and to know. Yeah, yeah. But it is. It's
0: all the invisible people and invisible actions that go behind making everything run smoothly
1: yeah I mean he also is just a weirdo we have to admit (laughs) the protagonist is weird (laughs) yeah I'm glad you said it (laughs) no he is I'm thinking like what if I work with someone who's like this and that's what they're thinking all day um I was just making a connection in my head about when you were saying he he finds the like rigidity and hierarchy and all so-called order of the office like kind of comforting and um, pleasurable it's it's like he even tries to add that meaning onto onto your thoughts which are by nature just kind of random and it's so he tries to kind of categorize all his thoughts and does all these weird sort of mathematical equations to try and order the way we think and that's is, is that like a fruitless exercise I don't know but he gets a lot of joy out of trying to do it and he tries to write down all the different things he thinks about in a year and how many times they occur in a year and it and that that to me is just like so funny that bit I don't know if you remember yeah
0: yeah no I do I only read that today that bit it's really good I like that bit
1: yeah and they're just sort of like the, the things that he thinks about it does it jumps from like mundane thoughts like um like vending machines and thinking about vending machines and then there's there's one that says um friends that are unworthy of me friends don't have any yeah. <laughs> and all these different yeah. things. <laughs> A number of times they occur in the year <laughs> there's one there's
0: two where one of them is people are so different from each other and then he thinks that i don't know 40 times a year and then lower down there's people are pretty much the same which he thinks 25 <laughs> times a year or something yeah
1: I found it people are people are just dis- are very dissimilar 16 times a year um people are very similar 12 times a year
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah no but I like that
0: parallel that he's trying to bring structure to everything or like he's always looking for a rationale behind everything like Mm. if he sees some random knob on some invention he's always thinking what's that for it must be for something or everything must be for a reason like my shoelaces break it must be he's like really intent on pinning down exactly why they've broken like why that one broke not the other one and why that day
1: yeah and then oh god I had a thought and it's completely gone but maybe like and that that sort of goes back to how he finds like what we would think of as just like boring chores like he puts a lot of meaning and importance in them maybe that's just how he survives with like adulthood because he does talk Mm. quite a lot about when he became a grown up and it was because he had an accumulation of grown up thoughts and like learnt how to do little tricks like apply your deodorant after you put on your shirt and then when did your thoughts that you've thought whilst you're an adult overcome the thoughts you had when you were a child and I guess maybe that transition of like getting his job and being independent and stuff that his way of like enjoying that and and dealing with it and putting up with it is just to think so much about one thing I mean is that like I don't know you probably know more than me but is there like some kind of buddhist like methodology in that I don't know like the way when you you meditate it's so focused i don't know well it's a kind
0: of mindfulness is focusing on the present and the kind of richness of the experience at that moment
1: yeah so he's not necessarily focusing on the present well there's one part where he's talking about sitting on a bench and he's got one hand in the sun and one hand in the shade And, like, he has a really nice description of just how that makes him feel and just enjoying that, like, moment in the sunshine on his lunch break. Yeah.
0: I mean, it did remind me a little bit of of mindfulness and that kind of thing. At the end, when he starts reading Marcus Aurelius, Mm. his um, meditations, and he reads that, which I've read and it made me laugh, because the sentence that he um, starts reading in his lunch break, which is something like... Oh, one day sperm, the next day ashes
1: or something. Here it is, I found it. It's, observe in short how transient and trivial is all mortal life. Yesterday a drop of semen, tomorrow a handful of spice and ashes.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I really like that sentence when I read it, but he really doesn't. And he says, it's not true. Mm -hmm. And he never explains what he means by that. But what you assume is that he doesn't think it's trivial and he doesn't think it's it's that transitory. and, And there's kind of the fact that every little experience in this lunch break, which is just an hour long, is so rich in, you know, thought and experience and meaning. It's like that hour has so much packed into it that how can you say the whole of a human life which is you know full of all of those hours is just a little blip or that transitory he obviously doesn't think that but then it's weird because that reminded me of of mindfulness and that if you focus on the present you can kind of get a sense of how you can get more out of each minute you can ring more out of the day because you're experiencing every minute fully Um, but then I guess Buddhism would encompass both of those ideas that it's both very fleeting and very long and can be
1: both at once
0: so yeah I don't know yeah it's
1: trying to I guess yeah it's like he's he's trying to contain all those contradictions like we are boring and think about boring things but then I'm also going to think about really lofty things like the meaning Mm -hmm. of life all in the space of like a second and he puts them back to back like he'll be talking about that um, that quote we read out and and like morality and then he's like anyway then I went back to eating my cookie and milk and then goes into (laughs) all his descriptions of how he likes to eat the cookies and the milk and (laughs) yeah it is funny like after when you're reading it I, I found myself like kind of almost thinking like he would think at different points throughout the day. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, just looking at stuff differently and, but, yeah, it doesn't last long and I just go back to thinking nothing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's the thing, I think my head is mostly empty.
1: Yeah, I know. I mean, <laughs> just in a really simple way, I do like it just because it shows you you can write a novel about anything. You don't have to have had, like, an interesting life or have had all these crazy definitely. experiences. Like, you can just write a novel about your lunch break. In a way, though, do you think
0: that it would be harder to write a novel like this one than it would be to write a novel with a story?
1: Yeah, definitely. And, that, and it betrays, like, the kind of more, I think, like, meaningful parts of the novel like it isn't just oh I'm just going to write about every little object in detail it's it's like there are some really like beautiful descriptions and, and heartfelt moments that can kind of get you a bit more deeper than just a description of a shoetace. Um hmm. and I think it's maybe a bit it seems like it would be easy but it would, it would be really hard
0: It's also self-referential, and it does build upon itself. So, for example, his relationship with Elle, who is his girlfriend, we learn more about that throughout the novel. And by the end, we've got a a more whole picture of what their relationship is like, which also reminded me of Patterson, by the way.
1: Oh, did it, their relationship? Yeah,
0: just how I imagined their relationship being...
1: (laughs) Yeah, I know what you mean. Oh, there was one bit that I really wanted to find, but I can't find it. It's about how. Um, oh. No, that's not it. I don't. If I'm not gonna be able to find it, I won't even talk about it. But it's like he's talking about when you're driving, and somebody, flicks their like cigarette butt out the window. And he's describing the way the, like, the bright, like, ash, like, bounces on the the tarmac in front of you and how it just looks so beautiful and it makes him feel really connected to the driver in front of him. And do they know that it's going to give me that little bit of pleasure when they flick it out? Or just they do it, like, (laughs) mindlessly? And the way he described it was, like, quite moving. Yeah, I remember that
0: bit too. I can't find it now. I'm not going to try. It'll take me hours. No. No, no. (laughs)
1: <laughs> It'll be in a in a footnote of a footnote of a footnote. <laughs> is there anything else you want to talk about about this? I mean, I didn't write so many notes, but I think we've covered um, most of the stuff that I've written. I'm just checking. The only other bit I've written down
0: is a quote about eyebrows. It says, "'People seem to raise their eyebrows "'whenever they bring something close to their faces.' The first sip of a morning cup of coffee makes you raise your eyebrows. I have seen some individuals displace their entire scalp along with their eyebrows whenever they bring a fork full of food to their mouths. A possible explanation is that eyebrow raising is a way of telling your brain not to activate the natural flinch reaction that the approach of moving objects near the face normally triggers.
1: <laughs> Amazing. So, listeners, if you liked that, you should definitely read this book because it's like one of a thousand observations like that <laughs> he does
0: have um some good theories about why things are the way things are oh so yeah the the other bit i liked which i'm written down is the bit where he's talking about how alcohol kills brain cells
1: oh, or no
0: yeah. is it alcohol or is he just saying aging kills brain cells he just and then he's
1: yeah.
0: yeah but the way he made peace with it is that he reasoned with himself that it didn't matter because when you're younger you have everything and like all these brain cells but you gradually kind of whittle them down as you get older
1: oh I vaguely remember this so he's saying it's actually yeah it's not about having as many brain cells as you can have it's about having really good ones so actually yeah like the the alcohol or age or whatever like just gets rid of the ones you don't need so that it's it's maybe more like lean the, your brain but it's it's more well used and yeah the connections between the different cells are better
0: yeah i you mean it's yeah. quite a funny way it's kind of like survival yeah. of the fittest between brain cells so you wake up and you've got and you have less useless information in your head than the night before I mean, that if shows had you, had you can you
1: rationalize your way into any kind of behavior <laughs> should we finish there then yeah, well, what did you rate it? Oh, you're oh. obviously going to give it a 10. Oh, God, yeah. I just, this is rating things just beyond a
0: <laughs> joke now. It's kind of meaningless, because I just give everything <laughs> a 6 or a 7.
1: No, you give everything, like, a something point two five seven or something. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. Well, I'm just going to give this a 6. A 6? Oh, no,
0: that's so low. Ah. Uh, It's hard because I do like it and I've liked talking about it. I just, I I can't forget my experience of reading it.
1: Okay, you have to, I'm going to buy you a a welcome home present. It's going to be the book version. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that'll probably bump it up to 7.5. Yeah, I'm giving it a 10. (laughs) I promise I won't choose a book that I know I've already read next time. (laughs) Okay, well
0: I'm choosing the book for next time and I did I had a couple that I was umming and ahhing between but I wasn't really convinced mm-hmm. by either of them and then about an hour before we started recording this someone recommended a book to me so I've decided to pick that one even though <laughs> okay. I know nothing about it maybe you've... you've read it actually it's called Times Arrow never heard of it okay I hadn't either it's by Martin Amis Oh yeah, Martin Amos. Amos. Martin Amos.
1: Yeah. Okay. Have you cool. read anything by him? No, no, no. I know he's like very famous though. So Okay. I'm well. To it. Well, the person that recommended it to me said don't read anything about the book
0: before you start oh. it. Apparently it's better to read it with no preconceptions.
1: Really? Okay. That's gonna be quite hard. <laughs> Just don't read the blurb. I was gonna say you'll have to read the blurb on the back. Okay, cool. Looking forward to that. Okay, so uh, shall we officially end?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, we never officially started. No, oh God, as usual. <laughs> I think we should um, record a generic intro that we just put at the start of every oh, we, we, every the list. I lit. think
1: we should get Charlie and Patrick to write us a jingle. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that'd be a good idea. <laughs> okay, yeah, we'll do that at some point. Should we not do it today, though?
0: No, no. Yeah. Let's just leave it there. We'll wrap it up and then maybe I'll just yeah. have to record a little intro
1: to yeah. say this is fine. I'm sure you'll be able to edit it. I mean, as a footnote, um, if, <laughs> <laughs> if you want to read another one of his books, the other one I've read is called Vox. And it's really good and it's basically just one phone conversation between a man a man and a woman who um get in touch with each other through like a, a sex phone chat line. Um, that does and like, actually sound good and it's, and it's just their one conversation, but it's fantastic. It's so good. Oh, I might actually read that. Yeah, I've got a copy, I'll end it.
0: Does it have footnotes? No.
1: <laughs> okay. Not from what I can remember anyway. <laughs>
0: <laughs> i can read that on my kindle then good yeah Aww. awesome okay yeah. that's the end of this episode so see you guys and by the way we have an instagram now which has no posts and somehow it has five followers
1: <laughs> <laughs> Oh. <Yay>. <laughs> <laughs> um should we just press stop recording uh yeah